So those small steps are really difficult to balance because you just want to take massive leaps. And there's a huge learning curve I had to go through when it came to sales. I mean, and these products would never hit the market if it, you didn't have somebody that was passionate enough to, you know, take a Mike Tyson punch in the face. Welcome to a really special episode of Weed Buds Radio. I'm really excited because for most of you listening at home, you know that Maine is my home state. It is the state where I created my first business. It is the first community that really rallied behind me and supported me throughout my career. And it's always very special to me when I get to have conversations with the next generation of Maine entrepreneurial leaders. And so I had to I had to invite one to join us today. And so I found Dylan of Tree Free Heat. Dylan, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Rod. Thanks for having me, man. What an intro. I'm really excited to be here. So well, I'm excited. I'll tell you, Maine is a super special place to me. It's going to be a super special place to the cannabis and hemp industry. But we don't often get to celebrate many entrepreneurs from Maine. We have a population of you know, a million and a half people, and we are a very sophisticated, blue-collar, gritty population. And so, you know, I think there's so many entrepreneurs in Maine, but an entrepreneur that can really start to get out of the state, expand a national presence is is always incredible to watch. And like yourself, I, I got to experience that at a, at a very young age, obviously resurrecting the Saco Drive-In at 21, and I believe you are 22? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So it's just, it's really special. You know, business knows no age. And quite frankly, from 20 to 25, I think is when I was the grittiest and I was able to kind of take those those lashings, you know, a little bit better than, than maybe I can now. Uh, but tell me, Dylan, what inspired you uh, to start your own business and what inspired you to start your own business in this industry? Yeah, so there's kind of two catalysts that were total game changers. Um, the first catalyst was, when I was 15 years old, my mom um, has got stage three breast cancer. And that was just a complete change of my life. Um, I became very introspective. Um, I had to become more independent and I wanted to be more financially independent. So when I was 15 years old, I learned what an entrepreneur was and I started down that journey. Um, so I had a bunch of small projects between high school and my freshman year of, high, uh, freshman year of college. But then when I got to college, um, I really wanted something serious, something that I could actually do to provide for my family. And uh, so through my classes, I was just uh, learning about different things that the professors would have us learn about. And one of those, of course, is Henry Ford. Um, and I fell down a really deep rabbit hole with that. Um, one of the most influential things I learned about him was that he had the option to use hemp ethanol instead of gasoline. I was like, wow, that's really interesting. Like, why would you not take that opportunity? Um, and it was it was really related to the price. And Henry Ford wanted to give as many people as possible the opportunity to have a vehicle. And so that was that would be done through gasoline. So I was like, okay, well, maybe we can revive, like, you know, bring this idea back to life. Um, and that's kind of when I started down the journey. I 
took two years to just learn everything I could about the landscape of Maine and Maine's hemp. And finally, when I was really ready, I went out and searched for um, an advisor or a mentor. And that's when I got to meet my partner, Nick Rimza. Um, Nick has been a leader in the mentoring around Maine. He's part of CEI's Woman Accelerator. Um, and he's been, he's been the dude that's like, all right, you got this big plan. These are the small steps. Just do them and we'll get to the big plan at some point. And, uh, you know, that, that was, that was the biggest thing for me. The small steps are so difficult when you have a big idea. So it was really awesome to have a person to be able to guide me to where I'm trying to get to. Incredible. Same exact thing for me. When I was 21, I didn't know what the <laughs> heck I was doing. For me, I just didn't necessarily find mentors that even really knew what it was that I was trying to build. But the mm -hmm. process is is the same, right? The journey, the entrepreneurial journey of educate. We have to learn so much outside of what it is that we're actually building because everything mm -hmm. is connected. And for me, this how to you know, how to handle the PR, how to handle you know, that sort of relationship, how to handle the consumer, the public, your marketing, your business. And it's just really special to, you know, kind of reflect. And in, uh, I'm working on a book right now called Relic to Icon, which is, you know, really about the journey of the Saco drive-in and, and how we resurrected it. But more mm -hmm. importantly, like what those steps were for any young entrepreneur that is, is getting into the game for the first time, you know, understanding that like we have to be, we have to be good to ourselves. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of us really start our journey with very similar purpose. And, you know, mm -hmm. for me, it was very much about being financially independent, but why is a teenager thinking about that? You know, it's mm -hmm. just, for me, my parents just were great teachers. Uh, my grandparents were, were great mentors to me and everybody kind of went this very traditional route. And so then when I broke the mold, it was kind of scary, you know, to, to myself, of course, but to my parents, to my grandparents that didn't necessarily, you know, they had this wealth of knowledge, but they, they never necessarily knew what it was that I was doing. Uh, and so being able to find those relationships is just incredible. So when you are looking for those opportunities to build your own business, to be an entrepreneur, did you know that hemp was the, the industry that you wanted to get in and then you created this product? Or was it the product and then you fell in love with the industry? Yeah, so I definitely fell in love with hemp first. Um, There's just so much that the United States, you know, wasn't doing um, that they once were doing. And I was like, why, why if we were doing it at one point, why aren't we doing it now? Especially um, a crop that I admire so much and that I, I see so many use cases for. Um, so that, that's a big part of it. The other part of it is um, I'm not really a software guy. I really like to make tangible products. Um, and so given that, I just saw the massive opportunity uh, to be able to make as many products as I can um, through hemp. And, you know, so those the products that I have right now are our fire starters. We are making the fire logs that are really similar to Derek Flame logs. Um, we are also testing uh, fat logs or fat wood. Uh, which is basically we're going to take the hemp material that we aren't using and we're going to try and replicate the fatwood that's being sold in places like L.L. Bean. And then, of course, 
the grand scheme, the grand idea is to make hemp pellets and hemp ethanol. Hemp ethanol, you know, many, many years down the road, but I'm willing to work for that. But the hemp pellet is a really interesting thing because we're in a really weird place where we feel really close to being able to get there. But then there's just this one roadblock that will take us months to unravel. Um, and so, it, it, you know, that's a really difficult balance because I get excited very easily. So the second I start to really feel, uh, you know, I'm this close to getting it, like I'm, I'm salivating over it. Uh, we get this roadblock and this roadblock puts us back another few months. And then I have to readjust my, you know, evaluation of where we're at. Um, and then it's back to small steps. Um, you know, an entrepreneur is, is always a person that gets overjoyed really easily from my experience. So those small steps are really difficult to balance because you just want to take massive leaps after massive leaps. So, um, you know, there's a lot of introspective parts there that I have to kind of control myself in order to maintain the success of my business. I have to do the same thing every day. Still do it. <laughs> you know, I yeah. with be it not plastic or be it with Weed Buds. We have such an amazing community of entrepreneurs with Weed Buds Radio and individuals are, are calling and texting and emailing all of the time with these like great ideas and it's like well not plastic could potentially participate with this or rise mm -hmm. above media group could help shoot that commercial or that film and it's easy to get distracted because it, it is it's so much fun and i think for me, anyway, I've been so so lucky to not necessarily be forced into that nine to five of of one position, but to have the the counter to that is is that you've got to work even more with a a stack of different businesses that you're working with and consulting mm -hmm. for. Um, but I do like I still have that passion and energy every single day. And then the team will come in, and you met you met my cousin. Uh, he's he's really great at this. Of just that logistical engineering mind of rise, trying to save the world, and then how do we break that down into steps that mm -hmm. will slowly get us there? And so, Dylan, tell me a little bit about the fire starters. I want to talk about the kind of the future on where you're going. But I love the fact that you are just transparent and own the fact that we've got this really cool product, but this over here is where we're trying to go. But these hmm. challenges have a, really allowed you to develop almost a catalog of products on your way to kind of your holy grail. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so a year ago is when we made the first prototype. Um, actually, I remember the exact date because I was so excited. It was October 3rd was when I made the very first fire starter. Um, and at first, you know, of course, I was so discouraged. I was like, uh, this thing is so small. It's cute. You know, I wanted a serious product. Um, but it worked. It worked really great. And so um, I actually have a package here that I can show. Uh, Please. So this is the packaging. Um, I'll get a little bit closer. So and for those of you listening right now, uh, about mm -hmm. what's the size of, of that box? Uh, so it's about six inches by three inches. Awesome. And there's two fire starters in that? Yep, and there's two fire starters, and they look like candles. Um, they have a wick on top of it, um, and it's, it's kind of cool because you can really see the hemp that's inside of it. Um, and it burns for anywhere between 25 and 30 minutes. Um, wow. And so when we first made it, I was like, is this, like, is this enough? Is, is, are people going to buy this? That was a really big concern to me because, again, when you have this 
you know, really large picture and you're shrinking it down to something that's really minuscule, you're like, oh, like, it's just very frustrated. Um, but it turns out it works really great. And there's been many iterations and developments on this. Um, I'm very good at listening to well, just listening to people. Um, I am a, like a person who's super agnostic all the time with most things. And I'm really uh, interested in taking information from everybody. So I just listened to what my customers had to say about it. Um, and if, you know, like two people said they'd rather have this, I'd be like, okay, that's something I'll consider to fix. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of the start of it. And we started with customer sales, but the sales were slow because, you know, it takes a lot of customers to make that something useful to do. So we switched to wholesale customers and we sold at campgrounds. Um, we sold at dispensaries and we sold at co-ops, kind of like also like just the premium specialty stores. Um, and yeah, that we're in 13, 13 to 15 stores right now. Um, not just through starting from March to now. Um, so we feel really good. And there's a huge learning curve I had to go through when it came to sales. I mean, this was my first time doing a real sales funnel and keeping up on all of the customers that I'm talking to. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I learned so much every day from doing this and I'm a person that's really accustomed to change. It's like how my entire life has been. So it's super easy for me to be able to just completely do a 180 on any given day. That's amazing, man. And again, like this is what I think connected us so quickly. I know that uh, you or, or your partner had connected with with one of my close friends, Michael Major mm -hmm. at Green Lane Communication, of course. And then I think you connected with my cousin. And so it just kind of all came together. And of course, I was excited there, there was another young main entrepreneur. But man, I'll tell you, this is more bold than anything I ever did. You know, there was still an infrastructure. You know, I took over a business mm -hmm. and made it better. I mean, you are truly, I get it. Product development was something that it's, it took so much, so much learning, you know, working with mm -hmm. you know, different suppliers overseas. And you have been able to take this product and this idea and find a way to not just do it, but to really own it. And so that's something that's just really exciting, that adaptability the ability to pivot, as you mentioned, sometimes when you grow up early or you're you're just forced to kind of take on that leadership role within your family and be stronger, you're almost kind of built for this job, you know, is because it is a hard job and these products would never hit the market if it, you didn't have somebody that was passionate enough to, you know, take a Mike Tyson punch in the face and, and keep going. And so before we go, I want to talk about that last that last goal you know what we're what we're chasing and in terms of of pellets tell, why are hemp pellets better for let's say a university an industrial park or a a commercial setting that you're it has high heating cost what do what will this do what will it provide and what is the value long term mm -hmm. yeah so I'll start with like the basics. Uh, so you have, you have hemp and you have wood alternatives. Um, those are, pri well, wood alternative is the primary source of a place that's using biofuel um, as, as a heating source. Uh, and so we have plenty of wood, um, but it's an incredibly inefficient raw material. You know, wood grows anywhere between 25, 50 years. Um, we need wood to breathe. Uh, you know, it, the industry is also sometimes very difficult to travel with. So 
we're thinking, okay, well, hemp grows in just three to four months. Um, it has a similar BTU. We actually went through the ultimate analysis and found that um, our BTUs are similar. Our ash content is a little bit higher, so you know that was one test. So we're not entirely sure what to think of that. Um, and and there's just a lot of hemp waste that's just actually being thrown away consistently. Um, so here's like where we really struggle is it's creating the systems to be able to do this affordably and consistently. Um, because we, we, we talk to different businesses and different colleges and they're really interested in, in trying a more renewable product. Um, but the systems and the capital to be able to do this is a real gap um, that we're trying to bridge all the time. And we're, we're trying every different possibility that's possible. Um, so once we're really able to figure that out, we really do think that we'll be able to, um, under the assumption that you know we would still have the supply to do it, we really think that we would be able to match the demand that is being um, asked for from us. It's just going to take a lot of time to be actually be able to get there and be able to do it consistently. I would say that's like our number one priority is the consistency because we've gotten a lot of feedback that a lot of the different wood suppliers they deal with struggle with consistencies. Um, so, you know, if we're going to throw it away, let's just burn it and, and use it as a renewable energy anyway. You know? Exactly. Incredible. Well, Dylan, for everybody listening at home or, or tuning into the video right now, what is the best way for them to connect with you and to find tree-free heat products? Yeah. So we have our website. Um, it's treefreeheat.com. T-R-E-E-F-R-E-H-E-A-T.com. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, I'm pretty sure all of my handles are just Dylan, D-Y-L-A-N, S-A-U-V-E-I-L-L-E-U-S. Very French name. And, yeah, um, those are the best ways to reach out to us. We also have a contact sheet on our website if you want to go there instead. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on Weed Buds Radio. And for those yes. of you listening at home, be sure to check out our show notes, weedbudsradio.com. Uh, just head over there. We'll have all of the links to purchase a fire starter, a fire log, uh, to connect with Dylan further. And of course, if you're listening and you hear an opportunity, be sure to connect with Dylan because this is a business that is, is only going to scale from here and we're excited to watch so from Dylan and Rye in the Weed Buds virtual studio to you listening at home thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode of Weed Buds Radio